The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Now, I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, please, and open them to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. And these past few weeks, we've been studying one of the most important doctrines in the book of Matthew, actually in the entire Bible. This is Jesus' sermon that he gave the disciples on the Mount of Olives. And this is known as the Olivet Discourse. And with the exception of what he taught the disciples uh, on uh, at the time of the Last Supper, which was just before he went to the cross, this was Jesus' last teaching opportunity. And when I think about how much time that we've spent in Matthew uh, going over the teachings of Jesus, I, I'm just amazed that he was able to do so much and to teach so much in just three short years of his ministry. Everything that Jesus said was tremendously profound. And what we do as preachers and as students of the Word of God is we try to get to the very depths of the meanings of the things that Jesus said. And this is what we've been doing over these past few weeks. We, we have been looking into this and trying to get to the bottom of Jesus' teachings and we always find out that there is no bottom to them. We can't ever touch bottom when we're talking about things that Jesus, Jesus taught. So every time that we look into the scriptures, there are new questions that arise. Uh, We have to dig deeper and deeper, and we have to study harder and harder. And when we do, we still find that there are many questions that are left unanswered, and there are a lot of different opinions about scripture. And the Olivet Discourse is one of those. There are many, many differences of opinion about what Jesus was talking about in this 24th chapter of Matthew. And so what we've been doing these past Sunday mornings is just trying to dig a little deeper, trying to reach a little bit better understanding of God's Word. And I hope that that's been profitable for you. The Word of God itself says that if we study these things, particularly talking about the end times, the second coming of Christ, it says if we study these things, we will be blessed. And so the study of the Word of God is always enriching. It's always a blessing to us to know more about God and His Word. So according to the internal testimony of the Word, you will be blessed by studying these things. Now, this is Jesus' teaching then about the end times, and this is what's going to happen when He's ready to begin His kingdom upon the earth. Now, you'll notice in verse number 3 of this text that the disciples asked these questions. As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And from there, Jesus goes on to give his longest answer to any questions that he was asked. For two chapters, he goes on explaining and illustrating with parables what it will be like for those that are living in the last days. I want to tell you, though, that nothing that we read here is about the rapture. You usually think about that when you talk about the second coming of Christ. You think about the rapture when he takes his children out of the world. Well, we do know the rapture is going to happen, but the Bible doesn't give us any signs to tell us when that's going to be. But there are many signs that come afterwards. Once the rapture has happened... There are many signs that point to the establishment of Christ's kingdom upon the earth. And those signs will be given during a seven-year period that's known as the tribulation. After the rapture, there will be seven years of turmoil that comes upon the earth. And those that are living in those days will see the worst things that could ever happen, the worst things that have ever happened in the world's history, nothing that anybody's ever seen before can compare to what will happen in those days. In fact, in verse number 8 of our text, Jesus said that these are the beginning of sorrows. And sorrows there means birth pangs, like a woman that goes into labor and about to give birth. There are birth pains. 
And in this text, we find the birth pains of the coming of the kingdom. And as each birth pain comes, the others intensify until finally God has purged this world, preparing it for the coming of Christ. Now, it's very important for us to understand that this information that Jesus gives here was in direct response to the disciples' questions. Their questions are about the kingdom. And what they have in mind is a Jewish kingdom that God promised way back in the Old Testament. It had been promised for many, many years. And so these are questions about that kingdom, and that's what Jesus talks about. So he's not speaking of the church. And I want to remind you again, these are not things about the rapture. They're not signs that the rapture is coming, but rather this is after that and looking forward to the coming of Christ's kingdom upon the earth. So we don't see the church. The church will be gone during the seven years of the tribulation. The church is gone to heaven in the rapture, and that's when the birth pains start that result in the kingdom. Now let's look at these scriptures again, beginning in verse number four. Uh, This is the first part of the Olivet Discourse. I'll ask you to stand with me for just a moment here as we read these verses in God's word. Uh, Verse number 4 in chapter 24. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers' places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another." And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for the opportunity that we have to Just look into it and to see what Jesus taught here concerning this terrible time of the tribulation. Lord, open our eyes to your truth today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as I begin today in the sermon, I I do have to apologize to you that haven't been with us for the entire study. Uh, You'll look on your lesson sheet today and you'll see that it looks rather strange because there is no number one. And there is no number two, so don't think that I've forgotten how to outline. Uh, Actually, we've already covered points one and two in the previous messages, and again, for that I apologize because I don't have time to back up and go through all of that information again. And so we're going to start here in our outline with number three, and that is the instructions of Jesus. What did he tell the disciples would happen in the end times? Now, here you see that there isn't an A or, an a, B or a B either. And so we're starting with C. Uh, all these points have already been previously discussed. So we're talking about C today, which is the caution about troubled times. And the troubled times that I'm speaking of here is the tribulation... And all the way down through the end of this chapter, this is what Jesus has in mind, this great tribulation that's coming upon the earth, that seven-year period after the rapture takes place. Now, we noticed in the last message that verses 4 through 13 very closely parallel what uh, is said by the Apostle John in the sixth chapter of Revelation. Now, I'd like you to turn there, if you would, please, and we're going to read some verses here that'll show you that Jesus and John were on the same page when it came to these end times, the the time of the tribulation. And we expect that there would be agreement. Uh, Jesus is God, and Jesus taught the Apostle John, and the Apostle John wrote down words that were given to him by the Holy Spirit, And so they are in agreement. You're never going to find disagreement in the Bible between Jesus and his apostles. You can always trust this, that if you run into some kind of an issue about you think that, well, this contradicts with something else, go back and study some more. 
Go back and get it right. You've got some errors in your thinking because Jesus and the apostles and the entire Word of God, for that matter, never has an error, never has a disagreement with itself. So we're never going to find any, any conflicts. Now notice what John saw in the beginning of the sixth chapter. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of a fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was Death, and Hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. Now, as we read those verses, we keep seeing seals, seals and seals and more seals, and these seals are opened up. Now, what John is describing here is a seven-sealed book, which is actually a scroll on which is written the title deed to the earth. And when each of these seals is broken open, another page in the chapter of the way that God is going to redeem the earth is revealed. Now, back in those days, ancient documents like wills and, and uh, uh, deeds to land and so forth were sealed with seals. And before you could read the next part of the document, you had to break open that seal. And this is what uh, John sees here, that the seals are being broken open. And every one of these seals corresponds to something that we've already read here in the book of Matthew chapter 24. Each of those seals corresponds to a birth pain that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 24. And so this is the way that God is going to redeem the earth and restore it to the pristine condition that it was in during, at the time of the Garden of Eden. Now, sin is the problem with this world. Sin has affected the world in every way. And to put things right is not an easy task, and it's not a pleasant one, because sin has, has so permeated everything, and Satan has taken charge, and he has usurped the authority of God, that sin and Satan have done horrible things to the world. And the world is infected with this sin, and to scrub it clean and to make it right, to get rid of the effects of sin, is going to take some very drastic measures. And this is what we find described in this particular chapter. Now, actually, at the very end of all things, that is, as far as the world is concerned, the Bible teaches that the entire universe will collapse and will be destroyed in one great conflagration, that's described in 2 Peter chapter 3, as God intends to bring the entire universe to a close in one deafening, electrifying moment. But before that happens, God intends to have a kingdom. He intends to have his kingdom upon the earth, and that's what's promised to Israel. And there's going to be these birth pains before it comes. Like a woman that goes into labor, into childbirth, there are going to be these awful, terrible pains that will come on the earth. And that's the sorrow that Jesus and John describe. And so each of the seals then are broken on this scroll, and they correspond to those birth pains. Now last week, I gave you four of the birth pains that we find in Matthew 24. Jesus said in verse number 4, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now let's very quickly run over these first four that we talked about last week. Number one is false saviors. In this time, there will be false saviors. There will be people who will come, and they will try to imitate Christ. 
Now, there are horrible disasters that happen at that time. There are terrible things that are happening. The economy collapses all around the world. And so people will look for a way out. They'll look for any way out to get out from under that. And if someone can come along and promise them that there is a way out, that they can help them, then you can be sure that that person is the one that people will follow. And there are many of these that appear, although none of them can actually help anyone. They're false saviors, and they're not able to do what they say that they can say. But there is one of them that comes, and he stands out above all the rest, and he looks like he can do it. He looks like he's the one who can write things. And this man is a false messiah. He's one who comes to fool Israel and to make them believe that he is the Christ. Now, that's the writer that we find in Revelation 6, verse number 2. The rider on the white horse. And this false Christ mimics Christ all the way down to the white horse that Christ is going to ride when he comes in glory. And so this is a man who is the greatest of all deceivers. He offers Israel a false peace that he has no intentions of keeping. And so Jesus says you need to be wary of him. He's telling the Jews, watch out for him. Don't be deceived by him. And then there's another seal open, and this is the seal, number two, of global conflicts. Revelation 6, 4 refers to it, that peace is taken from the earth, and across the world there are wars and rumors of wars. Nation rises up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There are threats of war, continual threats of war in every country. I've never been in a war, but I've read a lot about them, and I've seen the pictures and all of that, and I think all of us would agree that war is a very frightening thing. Now, as Americans, we're used to watching war in other places. Except for 9-11, there has never been a, a foreign power that has invaded the United States. I mean, not since the Revolution, at least. There hasn't been a foreign power that's come here to fight on our soil. But when the tribulation comes, every city across the world, cities even in America, will have their own 9-11. It's going to be a terrible time, and there isn't going to be a nation that escapes war. But finally, there's going to come a war that ends all wars. There's a great battle that's coming. That's called the Battle of Armageddon. And that's when God gathers all the nations of the world together to a place that is the center of conflict and has been for many, many centuries, and that is Jerusalem. The armies of the world will be gathered against Jerusalem, and the bloodshed in that battle is going to be beyond belief. Massive carnage with rivers of blood that flow. And Armageddon is actually that last great labor pain before Christ brings his kingdom. Then we talked about, thirdly, global famines. Matthew 24 and Revelation 6 both speak of famines. We find here that the daily ration in those days will be a cup of wheat and a cup of barley. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us this for sure, but that could be the ration for an entire family. And so all over the world, there is starvation, famine and starvation everywhere. And that famine is accentuated by the fourth birth pain, and that is global disasters. Jesus said there would be famines and pestilences and earthquakes. Now, I read an article about earthquakes. It said that earthquakes can happen anywhere. Now, most people in America don't believe that they live in an earthquake zone. They've never experienced an earthquake. My family in Kentucky thinks that I'm totally crazy for living in California because they're afraid of earthquakes. But what they don't realize is that they live close to what's called the New Madrid Fault. And in 1811, one of the most serious, strongest earthquakes that's happened in modern history happened along that fault. And that earthquake affected over one million square miles. Now, by comparison... The 1906 quake in San Francisco affected 6,200 miles. So the New Madrid Fault, the earthquake along it, was a spectacular quake that happened, you know, a couple of hundred years ago. But the problem is nobody alive today ever felt anything like that. 
Nobody in Kentucky, where I'm from, ever felt anything like that. But the Bible teaches that these things can happen anywhere. Actually, science teaches us that all of us are living in an earthquake zone, and God, who controls the world, will take this world and he'll shake it as mightily as he wants to. And during the time of the tribulation, there will be earthquakes upon earthquakes, much seismic activity. Volcanoes will erupt, and there will be great weather events that will take place, just like when Mount St. Helens erupted in 1980. All the ash that went into the air blocked out the sun. And you can imagine earthquakes, hundreds of these erupting all across the world, that the sun will be blackened out for days and weeks. Crops will be destroyed. Seas will be poisoned. And according to Revelation, millions of fish die in the sea. And so there is no food. There is no relief. It is an apocalyptic world. Worse than anything you've ever seen in a movie. So those are some of the things that Jesus discussed with the disciples. He said, these are signs that the kingdom is ready to begin. Now let's go a little bit further today into this text. And in the time left, I, I want to finish these first 14 verses, and I'm going to give you three more of the birth pains. That'll make seven. That's an appropriate biblical figure to end on. So number five, number five is persecuted believers. In the last days, there will be persecution of God's people like has never been seen before. Now, you and I know that the Jews have always been a persecuted people. If it hadn't been for the providence of God, the protection of God, then the Jewish people would have been exterminated long ago. Today, across our world, there is a lot of hostility towards Jewish people still. But when it comes to the last days, that activity against Jewish people is going to be heightened. Now, what you can't find today, you can't find Hittites. Any of you know a Hittite? You can't find a Hittite today. You can't find a Jebusite. There aren't any Canaanites, there aren't Assyrians, and there aren't Babylonians. There are no Ammonites, and there are Mo no Moabites, but there are Jews. And there's a reason that there are Jews, and that is because God has protected them. God has had his hand on the Jewish nation because that's his chosen people. And we need to remember that. And I'll just throw in something, maybe it's a little bit political for you right now. The United States of America ought not ever to stand against the Jewish people. As long as we are protectors of Israel, then things will be good for us. The moment we turn on them, then things are going to get very, very bad. Now, God preserves his people, but that does not mean he has preserved the Jewish people, but that does not mean that the numbers of them will not become very small. You go back to the Old Testament and you read about Elijah, and there the word of God says that there were only 7,000 left that were true Jews in the time of Elijah. So they can become very small. And in the tribulation time, there will be a massive undertaking by the Antichrist against the world of Jews. Now, the Jews can't have a kingdom if there aren't any Jews. And so Satan wants that kingdom from happening. And so the focus is going to be on a major holocaust of unparalleled proportions against the Jewish people. Now, Satan has never won a war against Christ. But he thinks that he can. I mean, he's like dumb and dumber. He thinks there's still a chance that he's actually going to win a war. But he can't stop God's purposes. He can't, he can't fight against God to actually stop them, but he is ever trying. And so what he thinks is, is that if he destroys God's people, then there can't be a kingdom. And so what he will do is to incite all nations against the Jews during the time of tribulation. Now there in our text in Matthew, verse number 9, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now let's turn over to Revelation chapter 12, and I can show you here an all-out assault by Satan and the Antichrist. In Revelation chapter 12, the Bible speaks of Satan as a dragon. And it's always been Satan's ploy to destroy Christ and his followers. And so from the very beginning, going all the way back to the book of Genesis, Satan has tried to destroy Christ. And he said, well, how, how does he destroy Christ from the beginning? Christ isn't even born. 
Well, what he did was try to destroy those who would be the ancestors of Christ. You destroy the royal line, and Christ cannot come. And so the first one to be killed was Abel. And Satan thought that he'd won a victory when Abel was killed. But what God did was to raise up another son of Adam, and that was Seth. And so the godly line was preserved. Revelation 12 tells us how that starting with that, that Satan's attempts to destroy Christ is a history-long endeavor. He's always done this. Numerous times he's tried to destroy the royal seed, and every time God preserved the lineage of Christ. And so finally Christ was born, but Satan didn't give up. Remember the story, the Christmas story, how that Herod tried to kill Jesus right after he was born, but that didn't work. Jesus lived his life. The, the uh, Pharisees and others at times tried to take him before it was his time, but God wouldn't let them. Then when Jesus was crucified, Satan hoped to keep him in the tomb, but that didn't work. So every scheme of Satan has been defeated. Well, we come to the time of tribulation, and Satan's not through. He still thinks that he can win. Time is growing short, and so he only has so many attempts that are left in him, and so he has still another scheme. Now, in that time, the Bible says that Satan will be cast out of heaven, and that means that he won't have access to the heavenly realm any longer, but he's going to be cast down to the earth. And when that happens, he's going to be so furious that all of his attention then is turned towards the destruction of Israel. Now look at Revelation 12, verse 13. And when the dragon, that is Satan, and when the dragon saw that he was cast under the earth, he persecuted the woman, and the woman there stands for Israel, which brought forth the man-child, and the man-child is Jesus Christ. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent." And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ." Now, as you can see, all of that is very, very rich with symbolism. But what it comes down to is simply this, that Satan will do everything that he can to stop Israel. He'll do everything that he can against them. He'll come at them with a vengeance. So we see here that he pulls out all of the stops. He's going to use every weapon that's in his arsenal to try to destroy them. Now, don't ever forget this, that Satan is a very powerful being. Aside from Michael, the archangel... Satan may very well be the most powerful angel of all. And what he does is he takes his demons, who are other fallen angels, and he uses them to come against God's people. And then in that time, there's also going to be the, the power of false religion. There's a false, wide, false worldwide religion that arises, and the activity of that religion will be much like the actions of Catholicism during the Inquisition. Now, I won't go into that now, but you can look at Revelation chapter 17 a little bit later, and there you can find a worldwide religion called uh, the Mother of Harlots. And maybe we'll get into it in the next section. So verse number 6 in Revelation 17 says that there's a false church that will come, and it will be drunk with the blood of saints and the blood of the martyrs. And so religion also uses every means that it can to destroy God's people. In Revelation 6, you get an idea of how terrible that time will be. Verses 9 through 11, this is what John said. And when he had opened the fifth seal, another seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And so there is death, there is horrible, torturous death, and even the redeemed of God in that time will not escape it. But vengeance will come. 
God says that he's going to give them vengeance. But the vengeance has to wait. The vengeance has to wait until the seven years are fulfilled. And then God, in his vengeance, will bring all these nations to that battlefield of Armageddon. And then God will have his justice. Now notice the next birth pain. Number six is rank apostasy. Now back to Matthew 24, verses 10 through 12. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now in that time, the persecution will be so great that people will do everything they can to get out from under it. Now, there have always been people who said, we are followers of Jesus Christ. There, there are people who say, we believe in Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. But then when times of persecution come, they show that they aren't actually true believers. Jesus described that condition in the parable of the sower. You remember that he said that there is some seed... Now he's speaking of the gospel, of course. He said there is some seed that falls into stony places. Now let me read to you what he says about seeds, the gospel, when it falls into the stony place. Matthew 13. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but doeth for a while... For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Persecution has a way of revealing false converts. They don't hang around. When, when, when it really gets tough, they don't hang around. And in the tribulation time, these are the toughest times of all, tougher than any time and so only the truly converted to Christ will actually hang on. They're the only ones that will be faithful. And all the other ones who said, we believe in Christ and we are converts to him, they'll fall away, they'll turn away, and they'll show that they aren't true believers. And then what they'll do is they will help the church-state government by ratting out true believers. And they'll even turn on their own family members. They'll reveal the hiding places to the authorities... And this is exactly what Jesus has warned about. He's warned about family relationships. And he says that a family relationship is not a strong enough bond to settle the differences between believers and unbelievers. Now listen to what he says in Matthew 10. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. You know, somehow people forget that Jesus said that. I came not to send peace but a sword, for I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And there Jesus is talking about the division that comes in families because of belief in Jesus Christ. Many times family members will make fun of you. Family members don't want to have anything to do with it. They don't want to have anything to do with Christ. They think that you're crazy. And they'll do anything they can to stop you from going to church and worshiping your God. And Jesus said that a true believer will have to take up his cross and he'll have to forsake his family if need be. And so if your family tries to turn you away from Christ, then the Bible says you must turn away from your family. And he said, if you don't, then you're not worthy of me. Now, I tell you, that's tough. These are some of the toughest things that Jesus ever said in all of the scriptures. You must turn against your family if necessary. But you'll notice this, that every time the Bible talks about these kinds of things, it warns us that Christianity is not easy street. This is not an easy thing that we go through. And the people that can't take it will not take it. And the reason that they don't is because they're not true believers. Now, John addressed that in 1 John chapter 2. He said, Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist will come. Even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they no doubt would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. 
Now, here is the thing about true believers. True believers always hold out. They always hold out. And that's why in the midst of persecution, the church has survived. Through the many centuries of church history, especially along through the Dark Ages, there were very inventive methods of torture. But believers didn't give up their faith. Burned at the stake, and believers did not give up their faith. Their tongues were torn out. Their eyes were gouged out. Babies were torn from the womb, arms and legs torn from their bodies, but they did not give up their faith. God's people never will. Now, Jesus said, this is what people in the last days can expect. The last days will see family members turn on each other. They'll try to save their own skins by helping persecutors kill their families. Verse 11 said that false prophets will come. They will deceive many. Verse 5 was those false Christs that come. Uh, Verse 12 again, it says the false prophets. And so this apostasy that happens in that time will be fueled by many heretics. And what they will do is lead people away from the truth. Now, there are many of these false prophets in that time. But what I'd like to do for just, just a moment or two here is to concentrate on one very special prophet on a very special, atypical, false prophet. You see, when the Antichrist comes to power, he will mimic Christ in many ways. Now, as you know, Christ has his prophets, or he has had. You go back to the Old Testament, there's Isaiah and Jeremiah, uh, Daniel, Ezekiel, Hosea, and so on. Christ has his prophets. In these times now, Christ has his preachers that preach the gospel. That's what I do. And, and I am a spokesman of Christ. I won't tell you that I'm a spokesman for Christ, but I will tell you I am a spokesman of Christ. I'm an ambassador to give you the gospel. Well, the Antichrist, who mimics Christ, will also have his false preachers, and he will have his particular, very special, false prophet. He'll have a top dog false prophet, a false Elijah, a false Jeremiah, a false John the Baptist. And this false prophet will be a wizard. And it's his job to herald the Antichrist and to help fool people into thinking that the Antichrist is the real Christ. Now, you can read some more about that in Revelation 19, verse number 20, where it says this man is actually able to do miracles. He'll deceive people. He'll fool them into taking the number of the beast. That number is 666. And I can't tell you exactly what that means, but I can tell you this. If you want to survive in the tribulation, if you want to survive under the authority of the Antichrist, then you must have that number. Now, that's kind of scary to think about those kinds of things. It's even kind of scary to me to think about the false preachers and false prophets that are in the world today. When I see these fake healers that steal people's money, that are very deceptive, I tell you, that's a frightening thing. I'm afraid for what's going to happen to those kinds of people. Well, here is a man, a false prophet, whose power is actually real. And so what does that deception do? Well, of course, it causes people to follow the Antichrist. Now, look what else it does in in verse 12 of Matthew 24. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now, what happens when you reject the truth and you believe a lie? Did you know this? That rejection of God's truth is actually rejection of God's law. The word iniquity means lawlessness. And in the tribulation, there will be lawlessness. And the reason for this is that the Holy Spirit will no longer restrain sin. Now, maybe you didn't know this, but the Holy Spirit restrains sin even in those that are lost. Even in unbelievers, the Holy Spirit is restraining sin. Now, you think about it. What is it that keeps people from living to the lowest depths of their depravity? What is it that keeps people from doing the worst that they can do So that when you leave the building today, you can go out into the neighborhood and you can walk down the street in relative safety. And you don't have to fear that you're going to be in the middle of a crime infestation. 
Well, the reason that you can do that is because now the Holy Spirit is restraining sin. Not everybody that you meet is a murderer. And not everybody that you meet is a thief. And not everybody that you meet is a child molester. And that's because the Holy Spirit restrains sin. The worst sins imaginable are in the human heart. And that means that every person in this room without Jesus Christ is capable of producing the worst sins out of his own heart. Horrible sin. And the only thing that stops you from doing it is the Holy Spirit. Now the Bible says that in the tribulation time that the Holy Spirit is going to stop restraining sin. That's in Second Thessalonians 2. You can read it later. I'm going to talk about it a little bit later in one of the other messages. Here's what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3. He said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. And there the scriptures describes this lawlessness, the unbridled sin, the rank apostasy of that time, and those are birth pains. Those are things that say that the kingdom is about to come. And God's going to allow that to go on. According to 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 7, it says that the one who prevents all of the wickedness, the Holy Spirit will move out of the way. And then people will be able to live out the depths of that depravity to the true hatred that the human heart holds. All of this is bad, isn't it? I mean, there's nothing good we've found here so far. But let's turn our attention away from the bad for just a moment. All the birth pains are horrible, but there is something good good that will happen. Now, in itself, it's a good thing. But unfortunately, in those days, people are not much into doing good things. And so, verse number 14, we find something here that's out of character with everything else that we've read. Along with all the bad that's happened, look at verse number 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And so this happens also before the kingdom, universal evangelism. Now, if you ever thought about how great the grace of God is, think about all these things that I've just talked about and how wicked that men are and how they're living out that depravity, how they're trying to kill the people of God, and what does God do? He still gives grace. There's grace in God, and so he allows the gospel to be preached around the world. There's universal evangelism. So the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations of the world, and then it says, the end shall come. Now, if you've been paying attention, you have to wonder, how's that possible? I mean, in our world today, we have relative freedom to preach the gospel. At least in the Western Hemisphere, the gospel is open. We can preach it here just about everywhere. Much of the Eastern Hemisphere is open. You can preach it in most of Europe, if not all. You can preach it in the Soviet Union. You can preach it in most of Africa and many other nations of the world. And so the gospel can be preached. And yet with the freedom that we have to preach the gospel of Christ in all of these different places, we can't reach everybody that's in those places. We've been trying to do it for thousands of years. We cannot reach everybody that's in those places. And this is at a time when we do have the ability to preach. Now, when you come to the tribulation time, now you have the worst persecution the world has ever seen. Now you have worldwide opposition to the gospel. The the Antichrist has a global army. He has a false religion that's trying to do everything to shut in the gospel, to stop it from being preached. So how is it going to be preached to all the nations when we can't even do it now? How is the end going to come when it says the end can't come? The end can't come until the gospel is preached everywhere? Well, that's a great question. And it poses a dilemma for those that hold to false views of the millennium. 
You have people like the post-millenaries who say, well, here's the way it's going to happen. The world is going to get better and better. And eventually things are just going to get so good, the world is going to be better and Christians will usher in the kingdom of God and then the kingdom will be preached everywhere. The gospel preached everywhere. And yet, where's the scriptural support for that? I mean, it appears to me that things are getting worse and worse, aren't they? The last days of the tribulation, things are getting worse and worse. So how is the gospel going to be preached? Worsening conditions everywhere. Well, God has an answer for it. And I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 14, because here we find something that is totally unexpected, something that has never happened before. God has a plan. Revelation 14, verse number 6 And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. Now here is God's answer to this huge problem. An angel will appear. Now, I don't know if the angel flies everywhere. Maybe he'll do that. Maybe God just allows the voice to boom out all over the world at once. But the Word of God says that every person on the planet, that every person in every country, on every continent, will hear this. The gospel will be preached everywhere so that there's no one anywhere that will miss the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will be preached by this angel. Now, that's impressive, isn't it? And some of you think that this could happen now because you're waiting for an angel to do your job. God said for us to go in the world and preach the gospel. We, we don't wait on angels to preach the gospel because that's not going to happen in our time. But this is a very unique time. No other way this can be done but this. Jesus said an angel will preach the gospel of the kingdom. Well, that begs a question. What is the gospel of the kingdom? Well, it has commonalities with the gospel of grace. We preach the gospel of grace today. The gospel is always gracious. The gospel is always about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's always about the forgiveness of our sins through faith in him. So the gospel is always about faith. It's always about mercy. It's always about the grace of God. And that gospel is never going to change. But the gospel of the kingdom adds another element. The everlasting gospel that the angel preaches adds something, and that is the exact timing of the kingdom. When this angel comes, he says, the end is coming now. God's judgment is now. No more waiting, no more uncertainty about things. The end is here. Now, I can't preach that. I, I can't preach the gospel of the kingdom right now because I'm not going to see these signs. I won't see the birth pains. I can't preach this now. This angel comes and he proves that the kingdom is ready to begin and he preaches the gospel of the kingdom and he preaches it to all nations and this is what happens at the end. And I can also tell you that I don't want to preach what this angel preaches. Because I don't want to be here to see what happens at the end. I don't want to be here for the tribulation. And God said, you won't be. You're going to be delivered from the wrath to come. So I don't want to preach this. Let the angel preach it. Now with that, I'm out of time and I, and I have to stop. Uh, there's a lot more for us to discuss. Next week, we're going to take the next section and we're going to talk about the Antichrist. And these first 14 verses have been an overview. The next section gets more specific. But let me finish with this. I do want to finish with the gospel of grace. I can't preach the gospel of the kingdom because I don't know the time. I can't tell you that today or tomorrow or within a week or a month or a year that Jesus Christ is coming. I don't have the luxury, you might say, of having that element to my preaching that I can say, believe it now because the end is now. I can't do that. But what I can do is preach to you the gospel of grace, which will have the same effect upon you if you believe it. That if you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, that the gospel of grace will ensure that you will be saved. 
Now know this, that what we've just read today, we read it in Psalm 53, and we've seen it in these passages that we've looked at, that the human heart is deceitful, that it's wicked, that there's nothing that's good in it. And so I know that I can't reach down within myself and pull anything out that will commend me to God. There is absolutely nothing in me that I can offer God and say to him, Here I am, Lord, take me because I deserve to be saved. I can't look inside myself and find anything. And so what I have to do is to depend upon God's grace, upon God's mercy, and even to this, that God will give me faith. I have to depend upon that because the Bible says I am dead in trespasses and sin. I have nobody but God. Praise God. Exalt him. And that's what the gospel of grace teaches us. You can be saved by believing in Jesus Christ. Now, I'll tell you one last thing. Don't wait for an angel to come and tell you this. If you wait for an angel, it's too late. You've heard a Baptist preacher tell you about this today. And you can be saved today. An ambassador of Christ has told you you can be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel of grace. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word and just profound things that we find in the word of God. How we are totally dependent upon you. Everything that we read in scripture points us away from self and says there is no way that we can be saved. No way we can come to you. No way that we can will ourselves to God except through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you come into our hearts and you work in our hearts first. And Lord, we just pray that you would do that in the heart of every individual that's here. And we know that when a person becomes interested in these things, when he throws himself upon your mercy, that means that the Holy Spirit is already working in the heart. Lord, we do pray that you speak to souls today. And then those of us as Christians, that we would recognize the end is coming and the gospel must be told because there are many people that will go out of this world lost in their sins and spend eternity in hell. Lord, help us to be those witnesses and ambassadors for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.